With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here are your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. Hello, welcome to the Tennis.com podcast, Inside the Tour. I'm your host, Nina Pantic, and I'm joined by my co-host, Irina Falcone. Hey, guys. And this week, we've got a special guest, Stephen Armitage. He is the UTR Chief Tennis Officer, a new role he started this year. He used to work with the USTA. He's been involved in national coaching of men's tennis, as well as the collegiate aspect for the USTA. He's a former ATP player, as well as a former Duke tennis standout. He also used to coach and is going to be marrying Allison Risk in 2019, who was on the podcast recently. We're honored to have him on today. We talk about a whole bunch of topics, but most interesting, he's got a business perspective to the sport that we all love and play and talk about all the time. Hey guys, it's Stephen Amitraj, and uh, thanks for having me on the on the podcast today. Okay, Stephen, let's start with the Fed Cup. You were in Prague with Allison Risk. What was your role, and uh, what was the experience like for you? I, I think my role there was doting fiance. Um, I was just uh, really happy to be part of an amazing trip with Ali. She, um, you know, this is her second year on the team for the finals. She was in men's last year on the team that won and in Prague this year on the, on the team that lost in the finals. Um, I think it's just an amazing experience anytime, uh, you know, she gets to represent her country. And for me, having worked with uh, Kathy when I was at the USDA and, you know, just to be able to see, Allie playing that environment was was pretty special. So, um, you know, it was a great trip. It was something that I think that we'll both uh, always, always feel a, a very memorable event. And um, you know, I feel lucky to, in a small way, have uh, been a part of it. And also, with that said, like, it was also kind of special on my end, having, you know, used to run the UST collegiate program to see Danielle Collins and the team. We were pretty tight when she came through school and even, you know, even still now. And um, to see her be on the team with Allie in, in the final was, uh, was pretty special. I will say that, Sonia, you guys pretty much had like a fairly young team. You had three newbies. Um, Allison was the veteran in the team. And I know Sonia had to play two matches first time. And she just she was a baller. I know that she lost the matches, but I know that you guys were giving her so much credit and she probably took so much away from that. Can you describe like your relationship and how that whole thing, how is the team atmosphere and the camaraderie with such new girls on the team and someone so young? Well, I think Sonia was fantastic. I mean, she obviously played two incredible matches, unfortunately, coming out on the on the losing end of both of them. But I, I think that it you know, speaks test. It speaks volumes to her to show you know the the environment that she went into in her first two ties, um, and really kind of putting her best foot forward and almost getting both of those wins. Um, I think she's going to be uh, she's a champion in my book already, but you know, definitely a champion going forward. And uh, I think that the camaraderie in the team was great, and it's much of the testament to Kathy and Lisa, Catherine Alding, Lisa Raymond, the captain and coach, and 
the rest of the staff, uh, you know, the, the, everyone from the security guys who, who the girls love and, and Jeff Ryan and, and Michelle Sheehan from the USTA who kind of put it together. Um, you know, it's definitely a, a team culture and something that I wish was more prevalent in, in, a, in a, uh, in a individual sport, but, uh, something that I think that the girls really enjoyed and, and something that is just a special experience. And I think, Having not known Sonia or Nikki very well before, it was just nice to spend to spend time with um, some some awesome awesome players and awesome people, uh, and I think that they'll all be fairly close uh, coming out of the tie. I know you said that you were just the doting fiance for Allison, but you have a really rich history with tennis. I mean, going back to when you were a kid, you played junior tennis, you played at Duke, you played a little bit of pro tennis, you worked for the USDA, you've been a national coach collegiate program, now you're working with UTR. You kind of have this insanely rich history with tennis. Can you talk a little bit about how maybe how you got started in the sport? Was it because of your dad who also had a career in tennis? I mean, is it is it something you eat, sleep, and breathe still? Like how how obsessed are you still with tennis? <laughs> That's a great question. It definitely got started because it was a family thing. I got started pretty early. My dad was still on the tour when he and my mom had me and um, my cousin, I'm an only child, my cousin for Kosh and I kind of grew up playing tennis together. Quite honestly, it's been a part of my life the, the whole, the whole way. Um, I think it's given me so much of, of what I have. It's been a constant part of everything that I do from kind of, as you guys both know, your, your daily routine as a junior and then your life in college and then your life after it. Unfortunately for me, I'd had some pretty rough knee injuries, so didn't get to pursue it to the extent that I would have liked to on the tour myself. Um, but I always had had that competitive edge and wanted to, or kind of just fell into coaching, but definitely wanted to go into the business side of the sport. You know, I've had some good opportunities to do that. And I think that a lot of the stuff that we're doing at UTR and a lot of the stuff that I had previously done at the USTA were underutilized and underappreciated aspects of the sport, be it college tennis or as we're doing now in, in UTR, kind of the creation of a more affordable and uh, more affordable and accessible pathway for, for more people to play the sport. And I think that that hopefully is something that I can, um, you know, be, be helpful in to make sport that we all love better. From listening to what you're saying, it sounds like college tennis is your true passion. Uh, that's what it sounds like from my end. Do you think that there's any way that they can integrate more college tennis style, whether tournaments or just scenarios in the pro level or some, cause I know like Fed Cup is probably one of the only things that is kind of similar um, to a team environment. So is Davis Cup and World Team Tennis, but is there any hope for that? Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I think that in terms of what we're seeing at the pro level, it's interesting, but the events that are being created are all team events, you know? So it's actually pretty interesting to kind of take a look at the fact that I think people are more apt to support a team. Um, sports fans are more likely to support teams than an individual player. And whether it's Labor Cup with Team Team World versus Team Europe, or whether it's now the ATP World Cup uh, or World Team Cup, you know, or or the new the new format of Davis Cup, you know, the three the three biggest entrants into the scene recently um, have all been team events, and so I think that people are starting to catch on to the fact that, uh, you know, team, team tennis is actually a really great product. I know that we were, when I was at the USTA, I know that the, co the collegiate team really pitched uh, a lot of people on that for our college match day series in Orlando. And 
you know, it, it, it was great on the tennis channel. I think that people really do like watching uh, a team sport and the fact that you can put individual players together um, and we actually see it working and growing is, um, is an area that I'm actually really bullish on in the future of the sport. I definitely prefer watching team tennis and, and college tennis and, uh, and you know, Fed Cup, I, I find, or Davis Cup, either one, I find kind of more exciting. Like, I think everyone gets a bit more amped up because Davis Cup was just recently as well. And I think it's just kind of a different atmosphere. But back back to what you're doing, when you were working with the USTA, what was your role in, like, collegiate tennis? Because I also saw that you were a national coach for men's tennis as well. Or was it uh, since 2014? What was your, your history with the USTA? Yeah, absolutely. So I started out, well, prior to the USTA, I was working as a private coach for a couple of the, the American players, Richie Vrom and Marty Fish, most prominently. And then I started with the USTA running our, our West Coast or the USTA's West Coast base in Carson, only for men. And we had a very good group there, be it Steve Johnson and Sam Query and Austin Krychek, Dana Kozakowski, some, 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 all, some good players and a junior program of which many of those kids are now on their way to school. And about, I think it was August 2014, so roughly eight or nine months after I'd started, a role of kind of national coach for college tennis came open. Um, and the goal of that was to really uh, help develop and facilitate American collegiate players transition to the pro tour. Um, and I, and that was always a passion of mine. It was always a, a passion of mine because I think that college tennis serves such a great developmental tool for players in the U S. And I think quite honestly, if you're putting your kid into tennis, it's probably every parent's first goal, which is, wow, I wish, I hope my kid can get a college scholarship. So all in all, I think the college, college tennis and, and, and all the work with, within that, whether it's by the ITA or whether it's by Oracle, who's coming in a big way, or or the USTA, and quite honestly, UTR as well, which is where I first got familiar with UTR, um, has put college tennis in a fairly prominent and good place, and I'm really excited to see the future of it. Like both of us, both Nina and I, we've both played college tennis, and uh, we both played a little bit of, on the tour. I probably played a little longer than Nina did, um, but you speak about that transition, and we've spoken about the transition from college to pro a couple times in our podcast, but I think it'd be really important for young listeners to know what, what it's going to take to go from college to pro. And a lot of people just think that it's just going to happen. Oh, I played college. I, it's going to just work out magically, but they don't realize there's so many differences between college and going pro. And just as someone as diversified in the whole tennis world as you, what would you say was the biggest thing that you found for college players turning pro? You know, I think you're essentially starting a business when you turn pro. And so I think that you have to have a very good plan of, of, of what's going on. And so you have to have a great understanding of the structure that you're going into, which in many cases is not working in the favor of players coming out of college, um, especially going forward from some of the ITF uh, changes um, in 2019. The, the results that you have in college don't immediately count at the next level so if you want to turn pro you kind of have to get started pretty early within your college career while you're still in school you need to start playing in some of the itf or atp or wta tournaments to try to obtain ranking points that will help you out further down the line so i think that that's a really good understanding of the structure and educating yourself on that is really important it's number one i think that number two is you know it's really expensive and that's why a lot of people should go to college is the fact that i think it takes four to five years to crack the top hundred from no ranking at the average cost of in a bare bones minimum, I would guess 40 grand a year. 
So you're shelling out between 150 and 200 grand just for the opportunity and the kind of ex- extent of the duration of time that you're going to need to go from zero to top 100. So having a really good sense of the fact that it's not going to take six months, it's not going to take a year, it's not going to take two years. And these are grim facts. And I think the third other important part of it is finding a coach and finding a training base and finding belief in yourself to really know that or to have a good understanding of what you're going to rely on as you try to make this transition. It's not easy. It's a lonely place. You're not with a team anymore. Um, You're in a week to week situation where you have to go about it in the right mindset. You can go in college. I'm sure you know, Irina, for for winning match after match after match to a situation where you're on a weekly basis losing every single week. Those are all changes. And I think that they're not, you know, unclimbable mountains, but they're definitely there. And I think that people having a good understanding of them um, is really important. I like your business perspective. I think we haven't really heard that yet. We have a lot of, we've had a lot of coaches and players that will have perspectives on what's pro and what's not pro and, and going to college and transitioning, but the business perspective of like, Hey, it's going to cost you this much. That's a little different. Ariana and I were actually just talking about this the other day. Like, in your opinion, what do you think is someone who's pro? Like, someone who's made it. Is it, you know, top 500, top 300? Is it, is it making even? Is it making money? Like, what, what's your thought? <laughs> it's a various discussion that I've had with a few people. Um, one of them would say it's whether you make your pension or not on the ATP, which I think is a little bit harsh. But for me, I, I think that competing in the Grand Slams and competing in you know the pinnacle, the the highest levels of the sport, um, have shown that to a certain extent that you've made it. And so I think that uh, I think it's tough to judge, um, but I think obviously you want to be able to support yourself for a certain amount of time and having a resume that you could maybe move on to the next stages of your life because there is a life after tennis for everyone um, is really important. Definitely finding that right now. <laughs> but like one of the toughest things that I've found is like. And Irina, you you've lived this, so you know it is the education that you pick up from just doing what you've done on the pro tour and finding your way from point A to point B and making sure you don't get robbed or making sure that you're able to like, you know, be able to go out and compete from country to country, from culture to culture, from geography to geography um, and the education of the world that you have through that. But how does that really quantify into you know, business setting or the real world. And I think that there are opportunities within the sport and the level of knowledge that you pick up through that um, is really, really, really valuable. But that's why a lot of tennis players have been fairly successful after their tennis career. And uh, I, I think that all of that stuff plays a big role. You find people, just people that are not necessarily athletes, they don't deal with stress as easily as someone like us because we're used to being in tough pressure situations, whether it's traveling, whether it's an actual match, whether it's having to deal with outside stuff and then actually going to play a match that day. There's just so many things that we have to compartmentalize on a day-to-day basis. And by no means am I saying that a traditional non-tennis job is any less strenuous on your mind and your soul and emotionally and all that stuff. But I think that you're a million percent right. There's so many things that you cannot actually pay someone to teach you. You actually have to live it. And that's the one thing that I can take away from tennis is if I've never touched a racket again, there's just so many things that I can take away and be forever thankful because I know I can use it for the rest of my life for sure.
I agree with you completely. And like, I think that that's a great lesson for the listeners at uh, any stage of their life, whether they're a junior or whether they've played on the tour like yourself for, for many years. Like, you know, you are putting yourself constantly in a situation with a sport to be on display, to have your discipline tested, to have your commitment tested, to have all these things, you know, really very publicly shown. I think that that is quite honestly like incredible training for the future um and whatever you're going to be in um especially if you're in a highly competitive company or environment um i know that the lessons that i've learned through that have have helped me out a lot and I'm, you know I, I agree with you completely on what you said i think it's just there at all levels when you were playing as a junior as a kid was your goal always uh college tennis or were you trying to aim for the pro tour because it seems like you've really naturally transitioned to being a coach and all that was that something you saw for yourself early on or did it develop i guess when you were like in your 20s no, definitely. I mean, I, I always wanted my my goal was family's goal was always get a college scholarship. If you're good enough, play after. Definitely give it a shot. Um, and that's kind of how it turned out. And I had done pretty well in doubles, especially my whole life. Even prior to when I went to school, we, you know, my cousin and I had made semis of a tour event. We had beaten the guys who won the U.S. Open the year before prior to going to school. Um, and then after that, like, I mean, I got hurt and, and just in general, I didn't, I didn't progress or develop as well as needed. And so after a brief stint of, of trying on my own, uh, I was kind of in a limbo period and, um, Rajiv actually was like, look, I think you'd always be good at this. Do you, would you mind giving me six months? And I'd never really thought about it, but started then. And he had one new, he won Newport six months later and, kind of really felt like I was actually decent at it, um, went through some periods where it was a lot tougher financially, emotionally, time-wise. But, you know, again, it's I looked at it as a learning experience and a lot of the knowledge that I have now within the sport was based on what I picked up in, in that period. And I think it was almost like a master's degree of some kind within the sport. And I think that it also identified a lot of the areas that we feel or I feel are areas of opportunity or areas that can be made better, which is many of the things that we're trying to do with UTR. Okay, so UTR, for anyone that's not heard of it, I have, um, I know that they recently paired up with, you know, Larry Ellison, the Rafa Academy, Tennis Channel. I mean, this this is gaining some huge traction, Oracle, obviously. It's all the same ranking system. doesn't matter if you're a boy or girl, if you're playing in juniors or pro, it's going to count your past 30 matches within the past year, and that's how you get rated? I can go into a little bit more, but it's actually a rating and not a ranking. So, I mean, I think that the key point with that is that it's done on a proprietary algorithm, and it's based off of who you play and what your score was against that person over the last 30 matches. So, by example, if uh, you play someone who's close to you in, in rating and you, you obviously have a rating, you play someone who's close to you in a rating and you're able to, let's say, win that match 6-4-6-4, you would go up by a corresponding amount to what they would go down. And so where this becomes really attractive or where it was really attractive to me is that it's a single unifying platform that accepts results across the across the a, any silo or any division within tennis. So as I mentioned earlier, where your college results aren't going to count for the pro tour, your college results and your pro results and your junior results across age and gender uh, do count all on the same scale within UTR. And so I think that an open platform like that has 
just immense potential because who wants to play a match? And this is my criticism in a lot of areas with the current structures. Who wants to play a match that is not going to count elsewhere? So, for example, if you, Irene, are playing a match in the you know USTA National Girls Tournament, it's not going to count for ITF juniors. The ITF match is not going to count for the USTA. The ITF match is not going to count for the ATP or the WTA nor college tennis. College tennis isn't going to count for any of those other ones. And so, you know, a lot of the barriers and a lot of the silos that people complain about within the sport and a lot of the, you know, I guess, lack of movement between those areas is uh, is taken out of play because this is a system that re- accepts results from everywhere um, and that counts results from everywhere. It, it provides a really great indicator. I think that it, uh, as you mentioned, Nina, it is over the last 30 matches. So the UTR Powered by Oracle system kind of, in our mind, gives a really good kind of snapshot of the last however long it takes to play 30 matches instead of the whole year. So UTR, you got involved with them this year. They're based in Palo Alto, but you were living in Lake Nona because you were at the USTA. Did you and uh, Allison move to Lake Nona together and then with plans of staying there and then and this kind of got thrown into the, the mix? Yeah, I mean, I, I moved to Orlando having, you know, this expanded opportunity with the USDA to oversee college tennis. Um, you know, my whole time with college tennis I'd kind of seen UTR coming up as the metric that every every college coach was using for recruiting. I used it myself while at the USTA to identify where players who I thought were pretty good in college and I thought would be pretty good pros, um, where they would pan out kind of on the pro tour if the results from college did count. And so I started to see what I thought was a pretty accurate rating system. And I was like, wow, this thing's pretty cool. Um, and about... Uh, a year ago now, uh, the Mark Leshley and the uh, Iconica partners uh, firm in Palo Alto took controlling interest of UTR with a vision of, as I mentioned earlier, making the sport more accessible and more affordable for people across the world. And with obvious problems, the, the problems of the fact that you know, they're, they're just a fraction of players in this country and, uh, you know, internationally that want to play the sport that actually do play. And so the biggest reason why they can is because they can't find anyone to play with. And so I think that having a unifying metric that, you know, is, is across the world and, uh, you know, a common language and for everyone is, is something that is, been sorely needed in the sport. And I think that the, you know, future of UTR is, is bright. And I think the future of the sport is, is, is bright. We've used it for tennis.com a little bit already, and it almost can sometimes help you even predict who is going to be coming up next. But I also see that it's good for players. Like at this point in my life, I play like very casually. And if I go to the local club, I don't want to have to, if I'm going to play a match, I don't want to play against someone who I'm going to destroy or, you know, it's awkward. Right. But if I had UTR to help me out, I could see how recreational players could match up a lot better versus what we're doing now where you just kind of throw yourself into an open league and you have no idea what's going to happen. And and playing against someone who's not your level, it's so frustrating and annoying. And I obviously I see the effects for or the impact for being recruited in college. But like recreationally, I kind of see a, a great impact here. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's and, and that's our focus, to be quite honest. I mean, we want to get people to go on our site, myutr.com and get rated and to find play around them. So whether that's an event, whether that's players that are of their level, or when, and whether that's in you know uh, you know close to them or whether they're traveling and they're able to find people wherever they are, that that is our goal. It's to help facilitate more play across all levels. And so if you can imagine when I say more accessible and 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 more affordable, 
if you if you are able to play with more people because it's across age and gender, you're not segmented into just playing with women or or me just with men. Expanded number of, of players and an expanded uh, uh, you know opportunity at events that uh, I think is basically going to increase the volume of play opportunities and and lower the cost of the sport. And so it's something we're really excited about and and something that we will continue to uh, you know make make more um, make more accessible to 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 everyone. So I know that we were talking about advanced analytics i just want to know did you uh happen to see any analytics or anything predicting that the chiefs were going to have the season they've had steven like i just i just gotta know uh well for for arena's asking because i'm a massive chiefs kansas city chiefs fan (laughs) having grown up in la hating the los angeles raiders their our travel there was some analytics out there but i think that the most important thing was um drafting of our new quarterback patrick mahomes who who i do love and um it's been really fun to watch this year i've been a little bit insane about it but uh i think i've deserved that after after many years of waiting do you spend a lot of time in missouri then like oh wait this is kansas city chiefs right like i went to mizzou and arena's boyfriend is from missouri this is kind of weird no time in Missouri. Um, a lot of time watching it as a uh, absentee fan uh, via my couch with a lot of intensity. How did you handle last week's uh, loss? Were you okay? Uh, my outlook on those kind of things, Irina, is, is a lot like tennis where it's, you know, you have to take a step back sometimes and just be, just smile at the quality of play. And it was just an unbelievable game. Sometimes you're going to win some and sometimes you're going to lose some. I did lose sleep over that, that game. I just want you to know. So, so, so what does what does Stephen your next I guess few weeks look like? Are you um, going to Australia with Allison? Are you prepping or helping out with this California Championships? This huge UTR Men's Open in California in December. You know what what does life look like for you? Our our main focus here at the company right now is just California Championships, and or at least my main focus at the company right now is is the California Championships. We have an amazing community product rollout um, that UTR is is piloting that basically is giving clubs the ability to create events um, all over the country within all over the world, really within within their club or academy, and and for players to play in matches that will count towards our system. It's not just expanding the 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 number of players that you can play with, but it's also expanding the number of play opportunities and um and kind of the biggest tournament that we have is the california championships which has really been a dream come true for me because you know obviously being in la and and having run carson before for the usda kind of knew a lot of the players that were there really what we did was we put an open event together where we knew that five top hundred guys are playing in it. Query Johnson, Taylor Fritz, Bradley Klon, and now Riley Opelka, who after the last week just got in the top hundred. We're having two former players play, former top 10 players, Tommy Haas and Marty Fish play because there's some decent money, 12 grand to the winner attached at the end of the tournament. But really the value for us is, is not so much at that level. The value for us is opening it out to everyone who wants to enter. So what we've done is made it an open draw. And so for the first 455 people who enter, um, they're going to be placed in the draw somewhere based on their UTR. So obviously the guys that I just mentioned, they're going to start towards the end of the tournament. But prior to that, your better college players or you know better juniors are going to start out kind of somewhere in the middle of this event and so everyone has an opportunity to compete against players of their level and then if they win play against players that are better than them the coolest thing about this tournament is that one everyone is in the same draw so you know you're a nine-year-old kid and you have this guy that you've looked up to and you're actually playing the same tournament as him and then two this this can be replicated everywhere 
this can this is a system that's been going on in France forever, and that's why they have a really, really, really strong community, you know, a community tennis system where clubs, uh, you know, host these events with staggered entry draws and have players play into them. I think that in general, uh, once people get a taste of what this is, um, they're going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot more demand for it. So um, you said that there's going to be 500 players. That's that's a hell of a lot of players. But I just want to know is that how many people are going to be at the wedding next year? That's all I want to ask. Well, yes, that is uh, that is not up to 500. We are keeping it smaller than that um, for the for my wedding and Allie's wedding going uh, in uh, July of next year. And uh, we'll see how many people sign up for 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 the event. I mean, it's really a, a challenge that we want them to take. You know, we kept, we tried to keep the 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 entry fee very affordable at 40 bucks, and uh, it's just really who wants to challenge himself against the big dogs. Well, I just have to know because I have a couple of friends from India and I know that they had a wedding here and they had a wedding in India as well. So are you guys going to be doing that? There will be no wedding in India. There will be one ceremony um, and it will be, I think that we're both in the stages of, uh, I say, begrudgingly planning for it. Uh, I don't think any of us are fully focused on it, but we've made a lot of progress. We've been engaged for, I think, a little over two and a half years. And um, we certainly have had some time to kind of iron out some of the details. So while it's going slowly, it is going. And um, and yeah, it's just going to be one in Pittsburgh. It's fitting that you're marrying a tennis player, given, given your story and what you're working in and what you've done your whole life. It's so appropriate. Well, I'm just happy. Uh, I'm happy that she she feels that way about me. So yeah, as Benny can probably attest to, she's very focused on on and very focused and very disciplined. And so you know, for us both to to make time to kind of plan this is um, you know necessary, but I think a little bit out of our our normal comfort zone. Um, but we're really excited, and and obviously to be around uh, people who are well wishers for us is is going to be awesome. Is it? Um, I'm just curious about this. Has it been kind of hard or or a positive a positive influence for you to have such a rich tennis history in your family because i mean i know your dad and your uncle and and your cousin everyone plays and everyone's so great is it something that's been a positive impact for you or was it kind of annoying and and was there pressure because you hear about tennis families being kind of a mix of both and and i feel like everyone's a little different i think that there 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 always is pressure i think there's pressure for everyone i mean i definitely did feel some some sort of it but you know it's been a blessing in every way i think that I wouldn't trade my family for for anyone. And, you know, I think that they were the people that got me into this and just somehow fate, you know, kind of all came together to basically have my life turn out the way that it did. And so the constant, as I mentioned earlier, has been so much around tennis. And um, I think that I was able to learn a lot. I was able to meet a lot of interesting people um, with it. And Luckily, it's uh, it's led me into a career that I love and and to, uh, you know, the person that I would have never found if I had uh, gone into anything else. Well, I'm excited to see how the next year pans out for you and for Allison, for UTR and and for the uh, California Championships, which starts December 15th. Uh, I'm kind of looking forward to see how everything works out. I think it's gonna be a really big year for you and and for Allison, but especially for UTR and, and for everyone playing tennis. Yeah, thanks so much. I think that um, I, I really do think it will be. And I think that everything that we're we're doing here, the team is working hard to try to provi- provide a better experience for everyone um, who does play tennis. And um, we're, we're really excited to, uh, to have more people kind of check it out and um, take a look at how it can help them. And so, yeah, hopefully we'll be talking uh, sometime soon about, uh, you know, awesome local events and, and an ability to uh, have people develop and enjoy the sport more. 
Yeah, exactly. That's it for this episode of the Tennis.com podcast, Inside the Tour. We've had Stephen Armitage on as our special guest. Thanks, Stephen, for joining us. Thanks so much for, um, for calling. Thanks, Stephen. I've been Nina Pantic. And I've been Irina Falcone. Thanks for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.